The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If you are a note taker or if you are OCD like I am, uh, I'm going to let you know we're going to spend all our time on the first two points. I'm just going to fill in the blanks on the last two points. So if you're watching the clock, uh, just going to forewarn you that uh, the last two points you're going to hurriedly take a note and read on your own later. How's that? Ezekiel chapter 34. When's the last time you heard a message from the book of Ezekiel? Been a while. Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read two verses and uh, we'll look at this together. By the way, if you look on the screen in front of you, baptism comes up uh, August 25th at Forks Retreat. There's a meeting on August the 11th. We need you to be up August 11th, 11th. at 12.15 for those wanting to be baptized. So following this service on August the 11th, we invite you to stay, and uh, then we'll have meetings with uh, individual folks following that. Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning in verse 23, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. We're looking at hero. The hero, as Chase prayed earlier, is Jesus. And this morning, we're looking at Jesus as a shepherd, Christ the shepherd. Father, we have worshiped through the table. We've worshiped through music. And now we worship through the word. Father, you're, you, you say, Lord Jesus, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And we pray now you take the word and touch our hearts in deep places. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The hero of the American West is whom? Whom's the hero of the American West? The cowboy. That's exactly right. The cowboy is the hero of the American West. And there are a lot of famous cowboys out there. That's probably one of them right there, right? How many of you John Wayne fans? There you go. Uh, Here's another famous cowboy. You remember him? That was a long time ago. Uh, When I was a kid, my favorite program was one called Rawhide. Anybody remember that one? And uh, then there was this program, uh, Ponderosa. And that guy over there was whom? Ben. You guys didn't get it right. Where are y'all, where are y'all watching? Here? There you go. This guy was uh, Adam, and that's my favorite guy right there, about my size. Uh, Haas, and then this was, uh, yeah, something like that. It's a little Joe, huh? Remember that? There you go, right there. Okay, and uh, here's another famous cowboy. Probably made more money than all of them in the whole group right there, right? Uh, the... Now, I want you, the, the cowboy is the American hero of the West. Now, I want you to name for me one famous shepherd. Not a cowboy, but a shepherd. When's the last time we see a movie about a shepherd? I mean, or some, saw some, if it's not a biblical movie, you probably haven't seen anything about shepherds. I mean, a shepherd, a cowboy is a hero of the West, and a shepherd as well, a shepherd. <laughs> a shepherd. And as we look at the scriptures, we see in the scriptures the heroes are not cowboys, but the heroes are shepherds. The heroes are shepherds. Max Licato, in his book, A Gentle Thunder, contrasts the difference between cowboys and shepherds. He said they seem quite similar at first. They both sleep where the jackals howl, and they both work where the wolves prowl. They both make the stars their roof, and the pasture is their home. But that's about where the similarities end, if you think about it. The shepherd loves the sheep, and when's the last time you saw a cowboy, a picture of a cowboy caressing a cow? 
I mean, not that he didn't appreciate his cattle, not that he appreciated the cow, but that, let's face it, there's a difference between a cowboy and his cattle and a shepherd caring for a sheep, which you've seen pictures of. There's a difference between two of them. Think about it. The cowboy drives the cattle. The sheep, shepherd leads the sheep. A herd has a dozen cowboys. A flock has how many shepherds? One. You think of that contrast. The cowboy wrestles his steers. He brands them. He herds them. He ropes them. The shepherd leads, guides, feeds, and anoints. The cowboy knows the name of all the other cowboys, the trail hands. The sheep, the shepherd knows the name of his sheep. He names them. The the cowboy, when you look at the cowboy, he whoops and he hollers at the cattle and the shepherd calls every sheep by name. The cowboy is an American hero. You're a Texan and, I mean, we, we just love our cowboys, don't we? Some of you are cowboys. We've got cowboys that attend TBC. I mean, they really are. They're cowboys. But isn't it neat that the picture of the Lord in the scriptures is that of being a shepherd? That of being a shepherd, the one who feeds us, the one who leads us, the one who guides us, the one who cares for us, the one who calls us by name. And as we look at the scriptures today, we're going to see that very thing. The landscape of Israel was and is today dotted with shepherds caring for their sheep. If you've ever been to Israel and saw and seen the landscape, as we've had the privilege to do a few times, one of the things you see is a scene like this. You see shepherds caring for their sheep. Sometimes it may be a goat herder, but oftentimes it's a shepherd. They care for their sheep, and you'll see them out in the wilderness. You'll see them in various places. You you come towards Jerusalem, and you literally see places where some of the nomads bed down. Some of the Bedouins are still there. And what Christ does is he takes a very, or what God does, he takes a very familiar image to folks in the Middle East, and he talks about shepherding and sheep. He calls us sheep who follow a shepherd. And it's a beautiful and simple analogy of who we are and who he is. Now, we're not going to look at the most familiar passage in all of the Old Testament that talks about the Lord being our shepherd. We're actually going to read it in a second. But if you were going to say the most familiar section in the entire Old Testament dealing with the Lord as our shepherd, where would you think? 23rd Psalm, you would think it. So let's do this this morning. Let's read it together out loud. Would you read with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. As we look at that section of God's Word, it tells us who our shepherd is and what he does. And it's a very comforting passage. It's a passage used by chaplains, used by pastors, used on the battlefield, used in the hospital room. And it talks about the Lord being our shepherd. We're going to fast forward to Ezekiel. This is many years after David. Many years after David was alive. And Ezekiel writes and prophesies. And he, first of all, he talks about the, the, the false shepherds of Israel. 
Before we look at the promised shepherd, beginning in the early verses of Ezekiel 34, he says this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you. And whenever God says woe, it's not a good thing. He says, woe to you. He tells the Pharisees over and over, the religious leaders in the New Testament, over, woe unto you. And he says, woe unto you, shepherds of Israel. You only take care of yourselves. You don't really love the flock. You take care of yourselves. You're fleecing the flock rather than feeding the flock. He goes on and he says, should not shepherds take care of the flock? Instead, you eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. He says, rather than feeding the flock, you take care of yourselves. And it's a scathing condemnation against the leaders of Israel. Ezekiel 34, in its context, begins with a very scathing condemnation of the leaders of Israel, saying, you feed yourself, but you don't feed the flock. You you, you take care of yourselves, but you don't take care of the flock. And then he goes on in that same chapter, he says, you've not cared for those that are hurting. You have not strengthened the weak. You haven't healed the sick. You haven't bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays. You haven't searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. He says, you are bad shepherds. You're bad shepherds. You're not doing what you're called to do and what you've been commissioned to do. Instead, you're worried about yourself and not about others. True shepherds are those who are concerned about the sheep. True shepherds are those who are always looking to care for the sheep, feeding the sheep, loving the sheep, seeking the sheep. He goes on and says, so my sheep were scattered because I had no shepherd. When they were scattered, they became prey or food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and the hillside. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. You false shepherds of Israel, instead of feeding the flock, you're feasting the, flo- feasting the flock. Instead of loving the flock, you're loathing the flock. Instead of caring for the flock, you're caring for yourself. And it's a scathing condemnation against those shepherds. One of the things we've been blessed by at TBC for many, many years are shepherds that love the flock. I'm grateful to be part of that team, part of those who are on staff, part of those who are elders, part of those who, who serve in teaching our, our Sunday school classes, our small groups, part of those who are ministering to your children now, part of those who care for our youth, part of those who care for our singles, our college kids, part of those who go to the hospital and visit, part of those who part of mercy teams. And hey, we are blessed with many shepherds. And I will say as a shepherd among, this, among the leaders here, how blessed we are and how grateful we are. And I pray this, that if we ever look like the false shepherds of Israel, we'll close the doors of TBC. I pray that. I pray that if we ever become focused upon ourselves rather than upon loving and caring for the flock. Now, obviously, there are times when there are needs even among the shepherds. I'm case by point right now. But I pray, folks have called and apologized, we're sorry to bother you. Don't be sorry to bother me. God has left me here to shepherd for whatever time I'm here, that's the desire of my heart. If it's if it's few years or many years, we are to be shepherds who love the flock. And I pray that this body will always be that way. I pray the leadership will be this way. I like what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, to love to teach is one thing. To love those you teach is quite another. And that's the way we are supposed to be. We are to be those who love, care for the flock, and honor God. And so I pray, I pray that indeed we will be that way. Sometimes living in community is messy. Sometimes family is messy. But we, we recognize that we are to go after those who hurt. We're to care for those who hurt. We're to minister to those who hurt. 
And what we see, God says, I will do this myself because you haven't done it. I will do it. Look at verse 11. Thus says the Lord, I myself will search them out. Verse 12, I will care for the sheep. Verse 13, I will bring them out. Verse 14, I will feed them. Verse 15, I will feed them. Verse 16, I will seek the lost. He said, you have put up with these false shepherds long enough. I'm going to care for you. Man, what a promise. What a blessing. He said, I promise I will come alongside. I will be the one who does these things. Then... He issues the ultimate blessing. He says, by the way, there's going to come one, the Messiah. One who's a shepherd like David was a shepherd. He says, I will place them over them, one shepherd, my servant David. Now, I don't think it's referring to David literally. David's been gone for a number of years. I don't think that's talking about the resurrected David. I think this is a foreshadowing of Christ who's to come, the Messiah. And I say that for a number of reasons. Within the context, he's talking about himself, God taking care of him. We know Jesus was God in the flesh. He's the Son of God. He's fully God, fully man. Also, I think what we see through the Old Testament is many times a descendant of David. The descendant of David is the Messiah, and that's who Christ is. He's a descendant of David the Messiah. And so he's not only the king that we saw last week, he's the coming shepherd. And I have that. And the other reason I believe it's him is because of his own claim. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And so we fast forward to John chapter 10. We have the promised shepherd. The promised shepherd, I believe, is the Messiah, the one we're looking at. And now what he says is, I want you to know I am the good shepherd. If you look at John chapter 10, verse 11, He says, I am the good shepherd. John 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for his his sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I give my life for my sheep. The good shepherd. As Ezekiel 34 in context was a scathing condemnation against the false shepherds of Israel, so is John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, or in John chapter 9, the previous chapter, Jesus has healed a man born blind. You remember the disciples came to him and said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, it's neither one of them. He was born this way so God might be glorified. And then Jesus heals this man born blind. And it's an amazing, amazing story. And what we see in that story is Jesus let this man have eyes, and he healed him, and everything in his life had to change. You think about a man born blind. We've got a bunch of ophthalmologists here. They can tell you what would have to happen for that man to see for the first time in his life. New brain, new eyes, new everything. And then the problem, though, is these false shepherds were more concerned about keeping the religious laws than they were about loving people. Same thing in Ezekiel 34, same thing in John chapter 9, because they condemned Christ because he healed on the wrong day. Instead of rejoicing that this man was healed, they say, look at him. He did it on the Sabbath. And they call the man in and tell us what happened. And he said, I, I love his line. He says, I can't tell you who he is, but I can tell you this. I couldn't see, but I'm looking at you right now. That's my paraphrase, by the way. He says, I couldn't see a minute ago, but who this man is, I can't tell you. But I can tell you I couldn't see a few minutes ago, but right now I'm looking at you, baby. That if he called the Pharisees baby, by the way. But, but he says, I, I'm looking at you right now. And so in the midst of this miracle, these false shepherds of Israel, these hirelings, these robbers, these thieves, and why do I call them that? Because that's what Jesus called them. If you go to John chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Truly I say to you, he does not enter by the door, if you go to NIV it says the gate, into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way as a thief and a robber. 
Jesus is calling these guys a thief and a hire. And then you go down to verse 12, he calls them a hireling and not a shepherd. And in verse 10, he calls them the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. By the way, contextually, we often refer to John 10.10 10 as Satan being the thief, but contextually refers to the false leaders of Israel. These thieves, these robbers, he calls them wolves even. You see, thieves break in, wolves sneak in, and hirelings kind of come in. And he says, you false leaders of Israel, they knew exactly what he's talking about. How did they know? Look, look at their response in verse 31. He says, the Jews took up stones again to stone them. I mean, a little later, he finishes this whole area of talking about sheep and shepherds and eventually decide they're going to kill them right there. They pick up stones to stone them. Now, you're familiar with this section. Jesus in the Gospel of John uses seven IMs. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection of life. I am the true vine. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here he says, I am the door, the gate. Here he says, I am. I am the true shepherd. Seven I am's. Here he's referring to the agricultural imagery that they would all know. If I were a shepherd in Israel back then, I would have one of these. I would have a staff. I would have a staff that looks like this, and I would have this staff for two reasons. One, to protect my sheep, and two, to stable my way, stabilize my way as I walked. And when Christ talks about being the gate or the door, what he's talking about is what you see up here. This is a permanent sheepfold. Oftentimes they had temporary sheepfolds. Oftentimes what the sheepfold would be at the end of the day, the shepherds would get together and gather different bushes. They would put thorny bushes on the very top so the sheep could not jump out or a robber come in or a wild animal come in. But there was always an opening, an opening for the shepherd, an opening for the sheep. This is a permanent structure. Oftentimes many shepherds would come together at the end of the day. They would place their sheep within that particular type of fold. And what they would do is someone would lie across the door. He was the gate. He was the door. And it was a thing of protection so no one could come in or out. So if I were a shepherd in Israel, what I would do is I would rotate with the other shepherds and I would lie across that door and I would be the protector. Jesus says, I am the door. In fact, if you drop down all the way to verse 9, he says, I am the door, the gate. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. There's only one way to get through that door, only one way to get to eternal life, and that's through Jesus who is the door, Jesus who is the gate. And so that shepherd is a protector. He's the one who protects those who come in. And and if I had that shelter, then in the morning when we arose, what we would do is uh, all the shepherds would get together and we would walk out. And as we walked out, there would be several flocks perhaps that came together. Sometimes that was the case, but not always. But if there were several flocks that were in that particular fold at night or they were in, in the bushy area at night that we had built, then all of us shepherds would go out. All of our sheep would come as one flock out. And then we as shepherds would stand in different places and we would call and our sheep would hear our voice. And they would follow after us. And the scriptures say the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow after him. And as they would hear the voice of the shepherd, they would obey that shepherd's voice. And as a shepherd, it would be my privilege to take my sheep to the high ground. It would be my privilege to take them to a grazing place. It would be my privilege to take them to a place to be watered. It would be my privilege to walk in front of my sheep so they would follow after me. As a shepherd, it would be my opportunity to lead my flock. 
The other thing I would do as a shepherd is I would protect my flock. As we would go from pasture to pasture, from field to field, one of my responsibilities, one of my privilege was to make sure that if I saw a rattling in the bush, I I would make sure it was not a wolf or something else coming after my sheep. And I I would use my rod and my staff to come after them. And sometimes I would take a sheep who had fell into a craggy place and pull them up. Or sometimes I, I would just nudge them next to me. And to you, every bleat is the same, but I could determine if that bleat was a cry of distress or was just a contented lamb. And for you, every face would be the same, but for me, every face would have a name. And, and for you, as, as you looked out, you wouldn't see individual sheep, but, but I do. You see, I know my sheep. I know my sheep. And as the good shepherd... In verse 14, I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know them. I'm intimately acquainted with my sheep. Such rich imagery. Aren't you glad that he is our shepherd? Aren't you glad that he is the one who guides us, who protects us, who comes near us? Aren't you glad to see this imagery? You see, there were false shepherds in Israel. In fact, at that time, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the legalists, the Sadducees were the liberalists. The the Sadducees denied the work of God. They denied much of the scripture. They denied the resurrection. They denied any number of things. Same thing happens today. This author says, if somebody wants to be smart while they're on earth, they should pray to Buddha, Islam, Muhammad. They should pray to Jesus, pray to Moses, cover all your bases. So when you get to heaven, somebody you pray to is going to be there. Hey, you know what? That reflects our society. That reflects our culture today. Cover all your bases. There's not a way. That's intolerant. Jesus doesn't say, I am a gate, I am a door. He says, I am the gate, I am the door. John 14, 6, I am the way. There's only one way. There aren't multiple ways. There aren't many ways. There's only one way. It's through Christ, the great shepherd. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which they must be saved. There's entrance into this flock only one way, and it's through the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Have you entered that door of salvation? Have you? See, some of us here at TBC on a Sunday morning, you're trying to be good enough. You're trying to earn your way. You're trying to do enough things. You're hoping when you get to heaven, the good outweighs the bad in your life and you're in. And if the bad outweighs the good, you don't want to think about it. Or you think, man, I was baptized. I joined the church. My parents are good Christian, faithful people. Good for them, not you. What about you? Have you entered the fold, the flock, by coming to the good shepherd and accepting him and him only for forgiveness? You see, he's the one who laid down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is not only the door by which we must enter salvation, he's also not a hireling. Look at, look at verse 12. He's not a hired hand. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd is not the owner of the sheep. He, behold, the wolf comes and he flees. He runs away. When times did get, diff, get difficult, he takes off. The reality of it is it's tragic. These false shepherds, some are legalists, some are liberals, some are hired hands. The legalist in our day is the one who says religion saves you, being good enough saves you. The one who is a legalist says, uh, you know, I, I want religion, I don't want a relationship. The liberal says Jesus is not the only way. The Sadducee, the, the Pharisee fit those moles. There's a little legalism in all of us. Maybe a little liberalism in all of us. The reality of it is we want to be biblicist. We want to know who he is and what he does. 
and he being the only way. He knows his sheep. He's intimately acquainted with them. Wow. Wow. He died for his sheep. Not only that, he protects us eternally. If you drop all the way down to verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. Not temporary life, but eternal life. And he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me. He's greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I am the father one. He says, if you're a sheep, you're in my hand and I am in the hand of the father. You are doubly protected forever. You cannot lose that which has been given to you. Sheep and the shepherd. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this? Let me give you three applications and we'll look at the last two points for your notes. Application number one. We are to heed the voice of the shepherd. We are to heed the voice of our shepherd. Contextually, it's talking about heeding the voice of our shepherd unto salvation. It's the call, the effectual call of salvation. Have you done that? Have you done that? What are you trusting in for eternal hope and eternal life? And if you have, if you have, do you hear the voice of the shepherd through his word, through his spirit, and do you follow that voice? Are you an obedient sheep? Are you? I've used the analogy of my GPS before. I've quit using my Garmin. Quit. Got a GPS on my iPhone. Works a lot better. You know why? On that Gorman, when I mess up, uh, this person with this British accent comes on, and she says, recalculating. And then she says again in a nastier way, recalculating, you fool. And then finally she says, I told you, I'm recalculating. And you're supposed to, and she doesn't really do it that way, does she? But uh, when I think I know the right way, I go that way. On my phone, she doesn't say that that way. So I go to the phone now. I plug it in. And she's a little nicer than the Garmin was. But you know, I find myself sometimes like that with God. Hey God, I think I need to go this way. No, 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 my sheep. My, 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 my sheep, you need to go that way. No, God, I'd rather do it this way. Recalculating. Gary, you need to recalculate. You can go that way. You can go that way. Or you can press into me and follow after me. Which is it going to be? Every day I have to make that choice as a sheep. Every day, so do you. Application number one, heed the voice of the shepherd. Application number two, hold to the unity of the flock. So Gary, where do you get that from? Verse 16. He tells the Jewish leaders, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, the other sheep not of the fold are Gentiles. So if you're Gentile, he's talking about us. And he says, by the way, you're not shepherding this flock. And there are other folks that are going to enter this fold. They're coming through me. I am the door. And I will bring them also. And they're going to hear my voice. And they shall become one flock with one shepherd. We will become a united body, Jew and Gentile. We should be a united body. We should be a united body. When I look at this, I look at the unity of the body. I look at the unity of Jew coming with Gentile and the struggle that that's going to be. 
And he says in Ephesians 4, 3, Paul says, Be diligent to preserve the bond of unity. In Colossians 3, beyond all things put on love, which is the perfect bond. And he says, you're going to be one flock, one body. So when I say heed the voice of the shepherd, I have to ask myself the question, am I heeding his voice? But when I talk about holding the unity, I have to ask myself, am I doing my part to preserve the unity of the body? Am I loving the flock? Am I loving my God? Am I loving others? You know, when I look around the evangelical church, it seems that causes have trumped loving relationships many times. And I pray that we will be those who allow loving relationships to trump. Not sin, don't mishear me. Not orthodoxy, don't mishear me. But that we will allow love to trump our own preferred desires. And I'm grateful for a body that has done that for many, many years. Third application, help as shepherds. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders, your shepherds, submit to them. They will watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Elders, staff, small group shepherds, Sunday morning shepherds, kids shepherds, counseling, caring. Help your shepherds. How do you do that? You pray. You come alongside. You minister. You become a shepherd. Am I helping or hindering those that shepherd the body? And so we look at the good shepherd. And we realize he's not just that, he's also the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd who was resurrected to care for his sheep. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. The Lord Jesus is the resurrected great shepherd of our sheep. That's Hebrews chapter 13. 20 and 23. He's also the chief shepherd. He's coming back for his sheep. Amen? He's coming back for us. In 1 Peter 5, 4, it says, when the chief shepherd appears, when he returns, you will receive the crown of glory. He's talking about the the shepherds of the body that will never fade away. Focus on the first part of that. When the chief shepherd returns, when he appears, the good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. The great shepherd is the resurrected Savior who cares for his sheep. The chief shepherd, the chief shepherd returns because he loves his sheep. Is Christ your shepherd? Is he? Is he your shepherd? Are you heeding his voice, hearing his voice? Following him and loving him. I've used a story before. It took place supposedly in an Australian courtroom. A man was arrested in Australia and charged with sheep stealing. But he claimed emphatically that uh, it was one of his own that had been missing for many days. When the case went to court, the judge was confused about how to resolve the case. And uh, after contemplating for several hours, he called everyone back in the courtroom. And uh, then he said, I've asked for several sheep to be brought in. And so a handful of sheep entered the courtroom. He sent the two men, both claiming to own the sheep, out into the hallway. And he said, now, I want one of you to call for the sheep. And the first man called. The sheep were restless and skittish and didn't make a move for the door where the man was outside. The next man called. And he said it was obvious. The sheep recognized the familiar voice of their master as they took off out of my courtroom and headed to the hallway. Case dismissed. Sheep 
and shepherds. The good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd who laid down his life for you, who was resurrected because he cares for you, and who one day is coming back. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our shepherd. Father, we thank you for this beautiful analogy. That's our desire to be obedient sheep, sheep who heed your voice, sheep who follow after you as one flock under one shepherd, holding to the unity of the faith, and sheep, sheep who come alongside to follow you, obviously, as the ultimate shepherd, but to support these under-shepherds who love you. If you're here today and you're not sure if Christ is your shepherd, if you've committed your life to him, if you've entered through the gate, the gate of salvation that is found in him alone, the one who is the door, the one who says, I laid down my life for you, I've died for you. This morning I ask you just to ask him to be your savior. Lord Jesus, I desire to be your sheep. I desire to be forgiven of my sin. I desire to enter your flock. If you've prayed that this morning, I'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you know that you are part of the flock, but you know your life is filled with disobedience. You know that you're not the obedient sheep heeding heeding the voice of the Spirit that speaks to you, the Word of God that is clear to you, the voices that preach to you. Would you confess that today as sin? Then come before the shepherd the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, and submit your life and your obedience to him on this day. The Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I shall not want. We love you. In your name, amen.